0: Welcome to Episode 2 of the Global Startup Movement's Activation of the MENA Startup Ecosystem. Today, we're talking with and extracting insights from some of the region's leading entrepreneurs who are laying down the foundation for the payments, logistics, and artificial intelligence industries in the region. This community activation is an interactive digital gathering of the Middle East and North African startup ecosystems. Visit ecosystemarabia.tv to drop in your email and register today. And a special thanks to our presenting partner, the Export-Import Bank of the United States. As the global middle class grows and technology makes the world smaller, opportunities have never been greater for American businesses to reach customers beyond the U.S. border. EXIM provides federal resources to access capital and mitigate foreign risk, and no business is too small. Let EXIM help you export fearlessly to the MENA region and beyond. Visit exim.gov MENA to learn more.
1: COVID-19 is one of the biggest crises of our time. It has impacted every single one of us, shaken our social systems and disrupted every sector of our economies. The automation of work combined with the global recession led workers to lose their jobs at an accelerated pace compared to previous years. And this trend is expected to continue. The ongoing shift in the division of labour between humans, machines and algorithms might displace 85 million jobs worldwide in the next five years while 97 million new roles, ones that are more adapted to this new task distribution, may emerge.
2: COVID-19 hit, and all of a sudden this shift, or let's say this increase in demand on e-commerce and deliveries that happened during you know, the precautionary measures that t- took place in, in the UAE, the last mile delivery showed that it is not fully 100% ready. So it did collapse in the first few
0: weeks. This is Khalil Alami, the CEO of Teller one of the many fintech scale-ups in the MENA region, working to build the digital infrastructure to unlock commerce across the region.
2: The nice thing about uh, about an economy like the UAE and the companies and the startups and, and the last mile delivery companies that, that we've seen is they've picked up quite quickly. So in the beginning of COVID-19, let's say uh, mid to late March in the UAE, we've seen you know deliveries when you order grocery delivery that usually comes in within the same day, was taking about a week or 10 days to be delivered. And then in about two weeks' time, all these last mile delivery companies upgraded their their networks, upgraded the number of employees that they've had, and within no time, we went back to normal deliveries.
0: Even though we're a couple decades into internet penetration exponentially growing throughout the region, the backbone infrastructure required to process payments, Deliver packages and empower entrepreneurial minds across the region to sell online is still in its very nascent stage. But based on the conversation I've had putting this episode together, the maturity of the e-commerce ecosystem in the region has accelerated about three years in just the first half of twenty twenty because of COVID nineteen.
2: Now, what what we've seen um, in in our area, you know, the social media plays quite a huge role nowadays. So what happened is, again, the COVID nineteen was a stimulant to this. We we've seen people that, um, you know, went to social media to market because they were not ready. They went to market their products. They wanted to sell through WhatsApp because they didn't have an online store. So that picked up quite extensively. But we have to remember that, you know, uh, we we live in regulated markets, uh, quite different than uh, what is what we've seen in China, the the you know the Alipay's or the WeChat pays and what have you. Um, our regulations are quite different. And, and and we have to remember that the banks rule this this field or this industry. Um, so we have seen many requests come through that channel, but if it but there is always that um, you know let's say um, a, a personal uh, a person that is that that has a craft or has a product that wants to sell through e-commerce that does not have a company or company account, there was a barrier for them to be able to sell their products through social commerce. Um, so what, what we tried to do during this, this period is we tried to provide all kinds of customers, um, especially the ones with, with um, you know, the company ones, uh, with tools that facil- facilitate secure transactions through um, the e-commerce. We wanted to take them away from cash on delivery using Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter and what have you. And we wanted to create that integration where they can generate an electronic invoice um, using that social platform and, and be pushed through that.
0: With about 90% of the region's businesses falling into the category of SMEs, social media platforms like WhatsApp and Instagram are emerging as key tools to generate new customers and provide customer service to existing ones. But these tools are just step one in the entire e-commerce funnel from sale to delivery.
3: I mean, really, we started here in the UAE. UAE was tech-savvy, sophisticated, connectivity was high.
0: This is Ronaldo Mushakwar, the CEO of Sukh.com and VP of Mina for Amazon. Small and medium-sized businesses account for over 50% of all units sold in Amazon's online stores. And while Amazon faces controversy in the U.S. on its market dominance, only a tech company of Amazon's scale is capable of achieving the economies of scale necessary to create a cross-regional e-commerce distribution infrastructure.
3: Saudi Arabia is probably the largest economy in the region with a very uh, high uh, retail segment penetration, as well as Egypt has one of the most populous countries in our part of the world. We early on, you know, tried to learn by doing things ourselves. So initially, you know, we built a last mile capability. We invested in pay for to make sure we have a payment entity, not only to serve Souq and Amazon now in the region, but also multiple merchants and vendors. But things are changing. We see now partnerships as a key pillar for us to work and and extend the reach of our network. So, for example, in the UAE, we're working with Emirates Post and Emirates Transport to help us, for example, to deal with some of the delivery needs during COVID. We're also working in Saudi with the Saudi Post that really reaches every person living in the kingdom. The kingdom is quite vast. So we started by doing our own tools and developing them to learn. But then, you know, working also with others to extend the reach of these tools to make sure they serve a broader base of customers across the region.
0: The vast majority of the population in the MENA region live in cities, with the exception of Egypt. However, in order to create an inclusive digital economy, e-commerce delivery networks need to scale to the rural populations as well.
3: Most of the major cities we're in represent about 60% of the population, so about 40% of the remaining live in the rural areas. While they are spread geographically, they still are customers who want to have uh, access to selection and multiple type of products Uh, they want to deliver to them, just like in a big city, and no one likes to pay more, so everyone wants to make sure they're getting good value for the products. And really, with the with the smaller cities, we also have the selling tools. So many of these merchants who may sit in the smaller cities, who make products in these cities, are now able through the Amazon global network to reach customers and prime members all over the world. So we feel also we have, in a way, a community duty to make sure these tools work and the service and the logistic infrastructure connects not only the main cities, but also some of the rural areas, especially in Egypt and Saudi Arabia.
4: It's just the future of being a merchant, right? Instead of selling at the soup, you're now selling on, on Amazon.
3: This is Joy adjlauni
0: the co-founder of Fetcher, a Dubai-based startup that was early in their ambitions to tackle the incredibly difficult challenge of solving last-mile logistics in the MENA region.
4: How can you deliver a package when you, when, you can't find, when you can't find the person to deliver it to? I think that's really the main problem.
0: The no-address problem is still an enormous obstacle for e-commerce in emerging economies all around the world. And is one that still isn't fully solved yet.
4: You get a you get a phone call, and it's usually somebody who barely speaks English. So you know, and 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 you you know, you got someone on the phone, and they're asking you where you live, and there's a language barrier, so you can't communicate, and it's frustrating because every time you get a package, I mean, you, we're so used to in the United States having a mailman knock on the door and hand us everything, right? They they deliver the boxes in front of the door, you know here. We literally every time you get a package, imagine you're at work, you get a phone call, not one phone call, by the way, a series of anywhere from one to 10 phone calls asking where you live. And you literally have to describe it um, blow by blow directions to someone who barely understands what you're saying. It's the most frustrating. I mean, it's the most frustrating experience on the planet. And that is God's honest truth. And then on top of that, the majority of the deliveries are cash.
0: And here we have the final key barrier to a flourishing e-commerce ecosystem in the MENA region. Cash on delivery has proven to be both a challenge and an opportunity for startups, especially in the case of Kareem, who absolutely dominated Uber in the region, because Uber didn't understand the local context needed to make ride sharing a success.
4: So, you know, you got to remember, like in the States, you're buying on credit cards. So when you leave at the package in front of the door, you know, that's it. The payment is done. I always I always talk about this, like in in America, when somebody is logging on the Internet and they're making a a payment, the transaction is done. The credit card was put in on the laptop. You're done. Right. The, The company has their money. But, you know, in 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 half the world's population, it's done with cash. So if you don't find the person and knock on the door and collect the money, there is no transaction. There's just the wish of the transaction, the hope. Of a transaction when it's done on the computer. But the actual transaction takes place when someone knocks on the door.
0: In order to be profitable, last mile logistics companies, which include Uber and Lyft, are super reliant on self-driving technology. And the Saudi government in particular has made enormous bets over the past five years, with a $3.5 billion bet on Uber in June 2016, as well as participating in billion-dollar investments in Lucid Motors and Tesla. And the kingdom has also been leading the charge on positioning as an early adopter of artificial intelligence technologies. Everybody, this is Sophia. Sophia, if you could, please
2: wake up and say hello to everybody. Oh, good afternoon. My name is Sophia, and I am the latest and greatest robot from Hanson Robotics. Thank you for having me here and at the Future Investment Initiative.
0: Before you go... Uh, We have a a little announcement. I've never interviewed uh, anybody like that before, and I should say, uh, some of it was planned, but not completely. Um, And we just learned, Sophia, I hope you're listening to me, uh, that you have been now awarded what is going to be the first Saudi citizenship
5: for a robot.
4: Oh, I would to thank very much the
2: Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I am very honored and proud for this unique distinction. This is historical to be the first robot in the world to be recognized with a citizenship.
1: You know, AI is, uh, is a bit of a uh, nebulous term.
0: This is Amira Rashad, the co-founder and CEO of BulkWiz, the first bulk grocery e-commerce platform in the Middle East, which is proudly powered by homegrown artificial intelligence.
1: It promises a lot of things and uh, it means a lot of things to different people. Uh, but when you actually look at it from the ground, that we are an AI-driven company. And the reality is as follows. Uh, You have to be built as a company on a a data science foundation, a proper data science foundation, in order to be able to have your ducks in a row, so to speak, to have the data in the format and in the volume that is required to be able to take it to the next level and really generate AI functionalities out of it. The talent is certainly still not there uh, as well. And I think that we are in a position to actually uh, invest in that space as a region because we have the youth, we have the ability now to dedicate the resources. So if we do this early, I think we—it's not too—it's not too late for us to actually have a, a foot in, in in the door, so to speak. I think also organizations or associations uh, within the region that would help educate be recruit talent in this space would really help because it's one thing to learn something theoretically and it's another to actually implement it and be in a position to reap tangible benefits from it and take it to the next level from, you know, functional manifestations of the AI sort of functionalities to uh, more kind of higher level when you get into uh, emotional, uh, visual, uh, other elements of any experience that leverage AI. So uh, I think it's early days, but that's both good and bad news. It's good in the sense that there's a lot to be done and we have the capabilities. It's just being able to be organized and funded accordingly. And it's bad in the sense that the race is very fast and whoever uh, gets to a point faster, will be able to generalize their solutions, and we'd be left again in a position where we are consumers and not innovators.
0: So Amira, as China and the US pull way ahead in the artificial intelligence race, what does the public sector in the region need to consider in positioning itself as a global leader in artificial intelligence?
1: I believe that governments across this region are realizing more and more the importance of the startup ecosystem, they're realizing that it is critical to supporting the very young population with its talent and its uh, skill sets. The governments are not in a position to uh, absorb this uh, new generation of uh, of young people into its its ranks, we do not have enough businesses in the private sector to be able to to do that. So there really isn't a way around this. And uh, while in the past um, I think we could afford to kind of forge our own way when it comes to what different countries were doing, today it's not it's not an option. So from a steps perspective i think multi country or multilateral organizations operating on a regional or a uh, maybe even global level be it uh, you know through uh, arab based organizations or through the un or other multilateral organizations need to start creating the venues For that conversation to start, needs to start identifying, they need to start identifying what the impediments are, they need to start listening to the people on the ground. I was included in a conversation uh, at the World Economic Forum in Amman, in the Dead Sea, where uh, a number of government officials from the UAE and and one or two other uh, GCC countries were uh, involved in conversations, live, open, direct conversations with entrepreneurs, asking what the impediments are, asking how can they make life easier. But it was very much on a country-by-country basis versus having a conversation where you know there is a standardization approach to any of those measures that they have started putting uh, into place. And as a result, you have I think what I would say a lopsided approach to solving some of these problems. And I think uh, it's time to start having greater communication as as a first step.
0: So while we can rest easy knowing the MENA region has pioneers like Khalil, Ronaldo, Joy, and Amira to establish the region's digital economy infrastructure, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, 90% of the region's entrepreneurs run SMEs, not high-growth, high-tech companies. So how can we take these tools and make them more tangible for the average person in the Middle East and North Africa? And what examples can we look at to determine what the future of work will look like in the region's conflict zones and smaller size markets?
6: The second year of my university studying, when I start thinking about uh, the economic situation, how life will be, and what should I do after graduation? Shall I just uh, become uh, an unemployment?
0: This is Zachariah Yaya. We heard from him in episode one.
6: Of course not. So I start browsing, start searching Google, looking for working resources, for jobs, for any uh, such resources. And I found that there is something called freelancing. And uh, freelancing means that you should have uh, three things. Mainly, you should have a skill, you should have internet connection, and you you should have a laptop or your own PC. So I start... Improving my translation skills and my content writing skills, I start developing my other skills in order to start providing services to real clients and real companies all over the world, not only in the Arabic region.
0: Currently, freelancers represent between 35 to 40 percent of the workforce and are estimated by some to represent 80 percent of the global workforce by 2030. Global freelancing platforms like Fiverr and Upwork provide democratized access to demand for every service you can think of. And even if you're a young man or woman in Gaza, Yemen, Oman, or Libya, you have access to customers all around the world.
6: The economical situation here in Gaza especially is so miserable, you know? We as young men who are start thinking about creating a family and have a house or have a home start thinking about such things. So... When I started working as a freelancer in 2015, 2016, I found out that I was like one of the rare number of freelancers in Gaza who are working on the platforms. But in the the past two years, I uh, discovered that freelancing uh, culture is spreading so fast, uh, especially uh, in Gaza, because this is a great... Um, solution for the economical miserable situations here in Gaza. Let Let's imagine that I have got a hundred dollar for a project. It equals like three hundred and thirty shekels, the local currency here in Gaza, which means a very good income to such a freelancer. Once I started working, no one was believing uh, that I I would do something good. But after time, I I was making great progress and great success. So my colleagues, my friends start asking for help to uh, help them, teach them and to uh, mentor them how to start working as freelancers because they also have skills, whether in writing, translation, designing or any other fields. So at this point, I started working as a freelancer mentor, voluntary for my friends and colleagues, and any other graduates who are who would like to learn more about freelancing. And yes, today I am I have been working with uh, Gaza Skigeeks uh, Mercy Corps um, in the past two uh, years as a freelancing mentor, and um, I'm so happy with the results that I made, because hundreds of graduates and young people started working as freelancers, and they are making great, great success.
0: There will be many stories, just like Zacharias, happening in many frontier markets over the next few years, and freelance training should be a key focus for development efforts. Social entrepreneurship that is driven by impact-focused venture capital is the final piece of the puzzle to a thriving digital economy in frontier markets.
5: My name is Ahmad. I'm the regional manager for textiles in Middle East and Africa and Europe. I'm a social entrepreneur. I started my business back when I was 17 in Syria.
0: Ahmed is a foremost expert on building venture-backable startups in conflict zones, with deep expertise on navigating life as an entrepreneur in Syria.
5: The conflict situation back in Syria was also very much dangerous in uh, in a sense of there's no support ecosystem following on us with this is something initiative that i wanted to also take on to try to build a supportive ecosystem for refugees and conflict and later after closing the business i took some initiative with another social initiative and social community groups to start to build a supportive ecosystem to get the founders together in a sense of also connecting with the angel investors to support those startups So it was like a kind of difficult set of challenges comparing to what other startups can face. We got movement restrictions. Sometimes the market uh, would be changing very quickly. Uh, Some area that you used to sell a product to, and then next day you cannot even access it. All of that required a a new innovative, a new way of thinking every single time to your your product. We tried to build a, a very much a flexible business model in a sense of every day we would like or every week we'd like to review it and see what's the changes that we have in a market that we need to reflect in our way of work. Even though markets like Syria are some of the
0: toughest in the world for entrepreneurs to operate in, this is where they're needed the most in order to catalyze job creation and economic development. So Ahmed, do you have any advice for those navigating tech startups in conflict zones?
5: People in conflict, they understand they are in a situation where they cannot rely on other people to solve their problems. They are uh, taking the initiative and they are the elder leader uh, who wanted to do those changes. So you would see a lot of people who's doing a business in situation in conflict or fragile countries mostly focus on solving the problems they're facing in the entire life. So a lot of businesses not really much focusing on dating application or gaming application rather than infrastructure support, education, online education because a lot of people couldn't be able to access schools and universities. So try to provide people with alternative online curriculum that they have, or supporting infrastructure, what people facing of the challenges during the conflict. So they try to put their brain on that and think about um, a way of disrupting it or or doing it. And not just like uh, any other entrepreneurs, where normal uh, entrepreneurs and conflict usually uh, focus on survival entrepreneurship. Uh, when the unemployment is very high and there is very much less option for them either uh, to get employed or to travel somewhere else because it's become very much hard uh, for them for uh, to travel and move they end up to start to think why i'm not why why not i establish my business and start to hire uh, some other people and work on it so different from value creating businesses uh, they focus more on what can can bring a change to the situation what can be sustainable for me uh, later on so they don't really much focus on win or lose so it's not percentage of becoming uh, what's the chances for me to become the next billionaire rather than it's a matter of life game uh, for me just like i always like to compare it uh, when you play a basketball and there's a one uh, second left and the ball is in your hand what you do you throw it uh, regardless of thinking whether it's gonna hit or not Uh, same for those people they try to put their brain and focus to establish this kind of companies to secure um, some fund and some income for them and start to hire the people around them in the society
0: thanks for tuning in to episode two of the global startup movement's activation of the MENA startup ecosystem this community activation is an interactive digital gathering of the middle east and north african startup ecosystems visit ecosystemarabia.tv to drop in your email and register today at the end of every episode, we'll provide you with a question based on key themes for you to respond to through a WhatsApp voice note, and we'll be including compilations of our favorite responses at the start of each subsequent episode. This week's question is what do you think is the best sector to build a startup in in the MENA region in 2021? Send us a WhatsApp voice note with your response to plus +15712308093 and tune in to next week's episode to hear if you are selected. And listen in as we break down how the region's ecosystem leaders are laying the foundation to unlock the MENA creative economy. Thanks again to our presenting partner, the Export-Import Bank of the United States. As the global middle class grows and technology makes the world smaller, opportunities have never been greater for American businesses to reach customers beyond the U.S. border. Exxon provides federal resources to access capital and mitigate foreign risk. And no business is too small. Let Exim help you export fearlessly to the MENA region and beyond. Visit xmgovernor MENA to learn more. And be sure to visit www.ecosystemarabia.tv to drop in your email and be sure that you don't miss an episode of our Ecosystem Arabia miniseries.